Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Well, um, as you're aware, today we're going to be taking a break from Pastor Robert's study within the book of Acts. And um, next week, to preempt you a little bit, uh, Pastor Ephraim will be taking the helm and he will be sharing God's word with us. Um, But my desire today is to basically just jump straight into a portion of of scripture and just see how the text would lend itself to hopefully, as I've prayed, provoke us unto righteousness, bring about that change which will make us more like Christ, that the Lord by his spirit would, you know, unlock a chain which has been keeping us bound. Um, my message isn't anything necessarily which we haven't heard before, but by way of remembrance, by way of exaltation, I just pray that, you know, it will remind us of the goodness of God. Because um, I'm sure we could all agree, if you're a believer here today, that God is good. And you should say, all the time. God is good. I'm with the right crowd. <laughs> so, if you turn with me, if you can turn with me in your Bibles to the first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, and just a few verses today, hopefully try and expand on, but I always find comfort within this portion of scripture which hopefully we can expand on today. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, if you're there, please say amen. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. A beautiful portion of scripture. And we can see that in the text before us how it was written by the Apostle Paul. And if you're a student of the words, you'd see how Paul with literally one master stroke just sums up the most important message that an individual could ever hear as they journey through life. He makes a profound statement. 
And the statement is one in which, as we look for the scriptures, we can easily just skim over. We could just read over and go to the next verse and not realizing exactly that there's great weight in what Paul has just mentioned. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to encourage Timothy. And if you know anything about Tim- Timothy, he was, a, he was a very meek type of individual. Easily discouraged. He was young. He was a Gentile. And the Apostle Paul saw him as his son. And so, as a good father, he wants to encourage him. Encourage him in the faith. Encourage him to continue in the truth which has been revealed to him. And so, he opens the letter and in verses 3 to 5, he highlights the importance of sound doctrine. And I'm sure as we look at that, we could all see and know how important it is to have sound doctrine. Because today we are surrounded by so many belief systems which claim to be biblical Christianity, but when you actually scrutinize it and you put it under the the scanner of the word, it doesn't measure up. And so Paul encourages Timothy, look, you need to have sound doctrine. He says that there are teachers who have come in who think that they're wise. They want to come and share a new thing. God's doing a new thing. Yo, watch out for those new things. What did someone say? If it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. Watch out for those new things. Because people are out there and they want to deceive others to suit their own gain. To meet their own needs. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, look, be mindful of these things. From verses 6 to 11, Paul basically highlights that the law is good. Because the law is what? It's a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It has its place. But once we've come to the schoolmaster, there isn't necessarily the need for the law again, again in that sense. Because we have Christ. And so the law is useful and it's good if we use the law lawfully, rightly. We're not bound by the law. And so he encourages him in this. And then what happens is he's going to exalt Timothy. He's going to encourage him. He's going to charge him to take up responsibility. This young man who's frail, weak, discouraged, Paul is going to encourage him to be responsible. And the interesting thing is that before he encourages him in this, he takes him back. And he's, you know, before he says, you know, Timothy, remember the prophecies which were said over you. Remember, you know, 
those things said concerning you with the laying on of hands. You know, I'm encouraging you to wage a good warfare. Before he says that, Paul sets up a solid foundation for him. And he says in verse 15... That Christ Jesus, God himself, think about it, Timothy. He left his heavenly abode for a period of time, clothed himself in human flesh, and came into the world for the sole purpose of saving sinners. Timothy, you need to remember this. You need to pause, as the psalm says, Selah. Pause. Think about this. Meditate on this for a while. Because this concept of God descending to mankind's level to lift mankind up to a higher level is not common. In all of the ancient writings, this is unique only to the Bible. It's only the Bible which carries the theme that mankind is lost, broken, and it's only God who can become a man in order to fix the situation. You won't find that in any other literature. Any other literature says, well, if you live your life in this way, maybe you'll be all right. If you do these certain things, maybe you'll be okay. No guarantees. But the Bible says there is nothing that you can do to make it all right. There is nothing you can do to make it okay. You need someone else to intervene. You need someone else to come and do what you cannot do. And this is exactly what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 19. He says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose. Mankind, you and I, were without a hope. And this is the theme of the Bible consistently. The Bible shows and tells us that left to our own devices, we wouldn't even bother with God. Left to our own devices, we wouldn't be here today. Psalm 53 and verse 3 says, Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not. What, Lord, not one? No, not one. Lord, there must be one. No, not one. Yo. 
And as we look into, you know, we take it through the cross and we look in the New Testament in the book of Romans, same thing is echoed. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Wow, gets deeper. We are brought forth in iniquity. And in sin we are conceived. Yo, that was, is our condition. So this sinful nation, uh, nature is hereditary. It passes from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing we could do about it. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. I'm not going to finish that off just yet. Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, you know, it just highlights the punishment we deserve. It says, for the wages, sin pays something. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. So, mankind deservedly was condemned and heading towards internal damnation. And so, by form of encouragement, the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy and he's emphasizing the good news. Yo, Timothy, there's good news. That's the bad news. But here's the good news, Timothy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save you, to save me, to save humanity. And before he actually makes that profound statement, you know, he, he sets it up and he adds weight to it by, by saying, with a premise, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Why is it a faithful saying? It's faithful because God himself has declared it. And God himself has declared it throughout the ages. He didn't just use some obscure person over in one corner of Israel just to, to say something one day and say, yeah, that's my word. Centuries, over centuries, he used people to declare this message. That God, the awesome God, as Isaiah 57 says, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. The one who we sing about and praise. The one who sits above the circle of the earth. The one who suspends the earth on nothing. The one who can declare a thing before it even happens and make sure it comes to pass. God himself made sure that his plans and his purposes have been recorded as a testimony for all to see. Not only that, 
consistently in the Old Testament, he calls upon heaven and earth to bear witness to what he has done. So nobody's going to escape. Oh, I didn't hear about it. Oh, wait there. Excuse me. It's recorded. All of the host of heaven know what's going on. There is a testimony, there is a count, it is recorded on the earth if we can be bothered to look at it. So no one is without excuse. Second Peter chapter 1 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God has declared it. And he is faithful to fulfill his word because he is the one who says that I have magnified my word above my very name. So Paul says, Timothy, you need to be encouraged here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, as it has been promised. And so, as I said, you can meditate on that for a moment and think, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So, he must have been somewhere before for him to come into the world. Okay, fair enough. So, where do we have these promises of him coming into the world? And where did he come from? You know, going back to the book of beginnings in Genesis chapter 3, you know, we have that amazing promise in the garden that the seed of the woman would be crushing heads. But, yeah, his heel would be bruised. And we know that straight from the gate, that was a prophecy of Jesus, of God himself saying, look, get me into planet Earth. I'm coming. I'm just going to set up the right platform in the right way that I need to come in here. Genesis again. I mean, we look at the example of Noah building the ark, and it was only those in the ark who were saved. And we see that this is a picture of Jesus. It's only in him that we can be saved. Saved from a world which is doomed. And we have that promise in Genesis that, you know, he's not going to destroy the world by, by water again. He is the perfect picture of suffering and reject, rejection as we see in the life of Joseph. Because Jesus indeed paid for all the suffering of the world. As we look in Deuteronomy, we see that he is indeed the prophet that Moses said we are to look for. God himself will raise up a prophet unto you. Christ Jesus is that prophet. We look at the life of David, the great king, and we see that Christ Jesus is the greater king. 
because his kingdom has no end. Christ is the greater temple. You think about all the different temples and how they were magnificent, but Christ is the greater temple because it's in him we live and move and have our being. And so from Genesis to Revelation, you could just think about all the different examples, all the different types, all the different shadows, and see how it just speaks of Christ. It speaks of him. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, this statement is trustworthy. It's faithful. It's worthy of all acceptance because God himself has signified it. And he went to the extreme of sealing it with his own blood. And so, his desire is for Timothy to look back within the scriptures, to be encouraged, to see how Christ fills all in all. And then, at the end of verse 15, the Apostle Paul personalizes the statement as he looks at himself through the mirror of God's word. And many say that this is what is called a hyperbole, in that Paul compared his life to the life to, to his life as Saul of Tarsus, in which he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who zealously persecuted the church, thought he was doing God a favor. He compares this to the life he now has as the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. And as he does that, he says, yo, the things I did, thinking I was doing God a favor and I was persecuting his people, I am the chief of all sinners. The chief. That used to be a, that used to be a cuss back in the day, you chief. Chief. Still is. Chief. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody call anyone a chief for a long time. Chief. Chief of sinners. And so he considers himself in that way. Others think that he was just comparing himself to the other apostles. You know, and the fact that they literally walked with the Lord while he was out persecuting the church. And he thinks, oh my goodness, I missed it. And so he saw himself as inferior to them. Now, they're good arguments. But, you know, as I read it, not to say my opinion is the right opinion, but I believe that it actually shows a deeper and more intimate relationship that Paul had gained on with the Lord. And I say that is because I believe that the closer that Paul got into the presence of the Lord and into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, the more he saw his sinfulness. And perhaps this is the point. Because, you know, all of us, me included, 
We can all praise the Lord. We can all thank him as we do for coming into the world and saving us from our sins. Calling him saviour. But the Lord Jesus doesn't just want to be our saviour. He wants to be our Lord. There's a difference. If he's your Lord, it's yes and amen. What do you want me to do, Lord? Okay, Lord. There's an obedience there. If we just see Jesus as saviour, it's like, take it or leave it. Oh, you're my saviour, thank you, and oh, oh, I don't really want to do that. We could take it or leave it. But Paul didn't just see Jesus as saviour, he saw him as Lord, the Lord of his life. The Lord who said, go to the left, and he went to the left. The Lord who said, Go to Jerusalem, but wait, if I go to Jerusalem, um, I'm going to, you know, be seized upon. Go to Jerusalem. Okay, Lord. No questions asked. As I said, there's nothing wrong with Jesus being Savior. Nothing wrong with it at all, but the Lord wants us to take that relationship a step further. He wants us to get up close and personal with him. He doesn't want us to stay stagnant and stay where we are because, you know, it's a walk. It's a journey. If I said, let's go for a walk, we're not going to stay in one place. We go for a walk. There's movement. It can be slow progression, but there's movement. James Chapter 4 and verse 8 says, you know, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But the emphasis is on drawing near to God and he draws near to us. So could we say, stay far from God and he stays far from us? You know, as I was thinking about that, um, I was thinking about the nation of Israel and how they were just always, you know, historically, always disobedient before God. And in the book of Isaiah, you know, the first five chapters of Isaiah, it's like, it's full of woe, woe. It's like, Isaiah's just like, woe to Israel because you've just left God and you've gone on unto other gods which aren't even gods. It's whoa, 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 whoa. For five chapters. And then you come to chapter six. And it's no longer woe to Israel, but it's woe is me. For I am undone. Isaiah got to a place where he got up close and personal to the Lord. It was like, okay, Isaiah, I'm using you as my prophet and everything, but it ain't just for Israel, you know. It's for you too. Woe is me, for I am undone. And I believe that this is a general rule, that the closer we get to the Lord, the more we should recognize our sinfulness. The more we actually open up the word and allow it to be a mirror. I'm going to pick on you ladies. Those little mirrors you get out and I don't have one. 
and you kind of like fixing up the makeup and everything. And you know that once you put that mirror away, makeup looks good, right? Makeup looks good. Guys, we've got to get man mirrors. How come the guys are not laughing now? Man mirrors. As we open up the mirror of God's word, you know, the scripture says that, come on, we're fooling ourselves if we go away and forget what we look like. We're fooling ourselves. As we look into the mirror of God's word, we should recognize our own sinfulness and think, yo, woe is me, Lord, help me. I want to be more like you. Less of me and more of you. I must decrease. Lord, you must increase. Do your thing. But you know what? As human beings, that's always our struggle because we want to hold on to ourselves. We want to hold on to our our bitterness and anger and striving and and hard-heartedness. It's hard because that's how we generally are. That's how the Lord, know, the Lord knew we were like that. That's why he had to come and intervene. But anyhow, the Apostle Paul saw himself as the chief of sinners. And, you know, if we really are honest with ourselves, you know, we are the same. Because we sin before God all the time, whether in thought, word, or deed. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. And guided by the Holy Spirit, he says, however. I love those little words, those words there. However, or but God. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for eternal, everlasting life. See, Paul obtained mercy, and we obtain the same mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is basically not getting what we do deserve. We deserve to be punished. Because we are sinful, we deserve to go to hell. But God in his mercy says, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to provide a way where you don't have to go. You deserve it. But if you go through this, 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 this route, you can miss out um, going to hell. Lamentations chapter 3. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Yo, who loves the next verse? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. If the Lord's mercy was not new every morning, where would we be, eh? Great is your faithfulness. And then 
within Lamentations, the next verse rightly places the emphasis on the individual. As it says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Yeah, his mercies is new every morning and great is his faithfulness, but there is something we have to do on our part. We have to make the Lord our portion. We have to make him Lord of our lives. We have to hope in him. And as we look at, you know, the first letter to Timothy, you know, the Lord was truly Paul's portion. He knew that he, he had obtained mercy so that his life could be used as a pattern to those who are going to believe in Jesus. And likewise, you know, we obtain the same mercy. It wasn't, you know, a special mercy for, for Paul and a different mercy for us. It's the same mercy. And we obtain the same mercy so that our lives can be used as patterns. Patterns for others. So, we can look at our lives and think, well, what is, what, is, what is my pattern looking like? Because whether I like it or not, my life is a pattern for someone. Someone's looking at me, looking at my character, looking at the way I do things. Whether I like it or not, I'm setting an example to someone. As a parent, I'm setting an example to my children. As a husband, I'm setting an example to my wife. As somebody who is employed, I'm setting an example to the people who work for me. To the people I come into contact with on a daily basis. It's a pattern. What do they see? We are setting a pattern to our friends and our colleagues. You know, do they look at us and say, that's a bona fide believer there. Never heard that person cuss. Never heard that person moan. That person always is positive, looks on the brighter side of life. The, the cup is always half full. You know, as we look at our lives as a pattern, you know, are we loving? Are we compassionate? Are we faithful? Long-suffering with each other. Just check out Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. How do we measure up? Or have we allowed things such as, you know, contentions and envy and bitterness and all those things which we know are not of the Lord, have we just allowed those to creep into our lives subtly and that's just forming our character? And that's what people see? I don't know. Only you can answer that question. But 
Again, just meditating this for a while. You know, I knew that personally, if the Lord said to me today, Patrick, tomorrow I want to use your life as a pattern for somebody else. I'll be like, yo, Lord, how much time do I have? I mean, I need to do some repair work. I need to get that needle and thread out and whatever it may be. I need to do something knowing that really I can't do nothing. What could I do? And that could be all the difference. You may never ever share the gospel with someone, but they may look at your life and think, something different about that person. Your life speaks the gospel. Being a living epistle to be read by all men, women, children. You see, the fact is, Paul's going to go on to say, Timothy, do you know what? Be encouraged. I want you to wage a good warfare. Stand firm. But could Timothy really stand firm if his life really didn't account for anything? People look at him and say, you joker. You're telling us to do one thing, but look at your life. See, our lives need to account for something. We need to build and establish a good pattern within our lives. And so, the Apostle Paul, you know, he saw his life as being solely sold out for the Lord. For him to call Jesus Lord was like a no-brainer. It was like, in view of the mercy, Lord, that you have shown me, how can I not but praise you? How can I not but live for you? How can I not but share this glorious message that Jesus came into the world to save sinners? How can I not share that with someone? Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And you see, as we read this, Paul's writing, and I just get this sense that he just breaks out into praise because it's like he's overwhelmed with the mercy which has been shown to him. Yo, I'm the chief of sinners, and you've allowed me to have mercy. Woo! Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, let there be honor, glory, and praise forever and ever and ever. He's breaking out. He can't contain himself. And it's funny because sometimes I think some people need to break out and not contain themselves. If you're truly grateful that the Lord has saved, you'd be like, yo, Jesus, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You saved me from sin. Lord Jesus, what can I do to serve you? Some of you need some of that. I'm not even joking. Sometimes I want to be around people who are like that. Yo, I'm excited. About, you excited about it? I'm excited about the Lord. Come on. Woo! I want to get some of that apart from, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, yeah. Mm. Had a good week? Yeah, it's been all right. 
Yeah, Lord speaking to him, yeah, well, you know, just been doing my devotions. We need some excitement in here. Some fire. What did Jeremiah say? Look, I don't even want to talk about you because every time I talk about you, I'm getting slapped up, I'm getting put into prison. But you know what, Lord, your word is in my, it's like fire in my bones. Anybody got any fire in their bones right now? Well, it ain't just for now, you know. It's for when you actually leave here and the service is finished. You know, I'm going to get the view cam and put it on you and see if there's any fire in your bones. When that person cuts you up in the road and you're like... Say, but wait there. You don't know what spirit you're of. Mm. Fire in my bones. Jesus, the king, is he your king? He's the king eternal. What does that mean? He's he's eternal. Immortal, invisible. God alone who is wise. Speak to Job. Job, are you telling me what I should be doing? Where were you when I flung the world into existence? Who are you? God alone is wise. I have to be someone wise because if I had this plan of redemption, I would have messed it up a long time ago. The way the Bible just fits and knits and everything just knits together, it's, ooh, it's boom. It's beautiful. To the King eternal. He spans the eternity of eternities. Jesus Christ came into the world from eternity. He left the world and went back into eternity. We just know this thing called time. Time's going to stop. But he will still be the king eternal. Never ceasing to exist. Continuous present one. I am what I am. Ooh. The king eternal, the king invincible. He fills all in all. He alone is wise. Creating all things, sustaining all things. How do you think the sun, the sun doesn't even rise and set. That's, our, that's how we see it. He holds up all things by the word of his power. Yo, that's the God I'm serving today. I don't know about you guys, but... Ooh. And you know what? Standard. All honor. All respect. All reverence. Should be paid to him forever. You know, when you read in Revelation, you see out of four and twenty hours, they throw down their crowns. You're like, yo. You could just imagine the praise in, in heaven. It's like not being able to contain it. You're like, all right, we, we've kind of like, oh, we, yeah, we've kind of like done this beat a long time now. And it's like, holy, 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 holy. And it's like, oh, maybe it's getting a bit rinsed out now. And it's like, no, you deserve it. Bam. Holy, holy, holy. Dash down them crowns. Holy, 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 holy. You're worthy. Bam. Yo. Sorry, gang, I'm breaking out on you lot. (laughs) 
Lord, help us. We need your help, Lord. We're jokers. I'm a joker. But the Lord is faithful. He is faithful. Honor and respect. You know, if President Obama came in, they would be like, oh, President Obama. He is king of kings. You pale into insignificance, Mr. Obama, President Obama. My goodness. Yo, we've got to live like that, guys. We've got to live like he's the king eternal. He's our king. He's our Lord. Yes and amen, Lord. You know. Well, Paul breaks out. I, want, I would love for all of us to break out. You know what I mean? Catch that fire. Earlier I read, you know, a portion of Isaiah, and it said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But then it goes on to say, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why he came into this world, to save sinners so that the iniquity could be placed upon him. And I'm glad for it. I praise his name for it. I also read Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, and that's what we all deserved. We needed to get those wages. <laughs> but it carries, on, it carries on, it continues to say, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So, let us not despise the gift that he has given us today. Let us use it in order to take out our shank, our sword, and wage a good warfare. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Becky's going to come and share one more song with us. But as she does that, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, um, Lord, all the honor, all the glory goes to you. And I pray, Lord, that today, you know, if your people have enjoyed the message, Lord, that it wouldn't just be a good message. That, Lord, truly, your word will be in all of us, Lord, <laughs> like fire in our bones. Thank you, Lord, that that is even mentioned in the scriptures, that we could just draw upon it. Lord Jesus, if we have failed you this week, thank you, Lord, that we can confess our sins, Lord, to you. And that you, you are the faithful and just one who will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, help us. We need you, Lord. Without you, we can do nothing. But in you, Lord Jesus, we can do all things. So we commit the rest of this time, the rest of this service, Lord, ourselves, our hearts and minds into your hands, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.